In the words of the late great Terrence Freeman, here and welcome to the garage, everybody. My name is Raymond. Most of you guys know me by RJ. In this episode, we're gonna be talking about breaking the thin blue line of silence. Now, what that means is breaking down the stigmas of good old boys, the thin blue line the wall of silence, the curtain of silence, the, the, the we'll brush it up under the rug type shit, you know, that happens in law enforcement. And before you get any ideas of saying, oh, you can't talk about what it's like being in law enforcement or you can't really do both sides, I actually can. And this may come as a shock to a lot of y'all. Um, I actually used to work in law enforcement. I used to work at the Hampton Roads Regional Jail. I used to work there for four years. And the first couple years was okay. Um, but I really, really, really appreciate me working there. Not as in the sense of law enforcement, but as a sense in that really helped me find out who I really am. Um... So, growing up, I was adopted. My adopted father worked in law enforcement. He was a deputy. He wasn't a bad dad. He was a good dad. He was a decent man. But I think how he disciplined us was almost like how he disciplined the inmates. And I say us as in me and my sister. Um, you know, hey, you know, if you keep doing this, you'll end up in jail. Oh, you want to act like an inmate? I'll treat you like an inmate. You'll get bread and water. And it took my door off of my, my hinges, all that stuff, you know, never, never, never beat me or anything like that. Um, just, just honestly, I think he just treated us like, you know, inmates and, and it really paved the wave, um, now that I'm 28 with three kids, that, 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 that wasn't okay and that wasn't cool to do. Um, but, you know, we live and we learn. So fast forward, I was 18 and a half. I was working as an EMT and I got a phone call saying, hey, you know, we saw your application. We want you to come in and do some tests. Went in, did a test, did a polygraph test, did a physical fitness test, all that stuff got hired. Um, at that time, you could not go to the academy if you didn't work inside the jail because apparently, um, they were having people go straight to the academy, come to the jail, find out what the jail's really like, and quit. Going to the academy costs money. Um, so I spent about six months inside the jail and I was in khakis. And khakis means I was in a dicky suit, you know, I had khaki pants, khaki uniform shirt. You know, all the whole, the whole thing. Um, and my first pod that I was assigned to was ICE, Immigrations and Customs. And I think those first two weeks, I saw the political and money aspect right away. And I'm 18, 19, you know, and I, I don't know what the fuck I'm getting myself into. 
Um, so I found out that, you know, these beds were pretty much money, empty or not, filled or not, you know, especially with immigration and the customs, it's $175 at most a bed, whether that's empty or not. So this contracts with those people. Um, and it was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty chill for that, for that part. Um, and then I started working maximum security pods, um, murderers, convicted murderers, convicted rapists, you know, drug pens, the, the whole, you know, the whole nine yards, all, all that shit, man. And I never had an issue, never really had an issue, was never really scared. Um, you know, yeah, they tried me here and there, but it wasn't really nothing, nothing pretty much to handle, you know, physicality wise. Um, but it's, it's seeing those people that were in jail for major crimes and, you know, sitting down talking to them. Um, they really did the things they did to provide for their families. Um, I'm not talking about murdering. I'm talking about armed robbery, you know, selling drugs, all that stuff. And, and at that point, I think that's when I almost started changing my views on things. And, okay, you're here for that. Um, that's weird. Then I, then I would see people in maximum security pods. There was one guy, and he had two years for, for street racing. Two years for street racing in a maximum security pod. So he's got to do two years in maximum security all because he was street racing. And yes, he was black. Um, that's when I started figuring out color matters. I was always under the impression that racism was alive and well when I was younger. As a white kid growing up, I didn't really see racism. Um, I grew up in Ocean View, so it's a heavily mixed population out there. I went to a predominantly African-American high school and middle school. I went to Azalea Middle School and Norview High School. I played on, I, I wrestled, I played baseball, and I was on a football team. And I think there was one year where I was the only white kid on the football team. So I grew up in a community that I was accepted in, but I was never the person to say, hey, you know, you can't do that or you shouldn't be doing that uh, to this person because of the color of skin because I didn't see it. There was one instance where I did see it, though, when I was in high school. It was me um, and two, two, two guys from a football team. I gave them rides home. We stopped by um, Seven Brothers convenience store. Yeah, all my new of you heads. Y'all know exactly where that's at. Um, and my two friends, they were getting followed by a white lady that was in there. And that it was just weird to me, you know. It's, it's, um, it, it, I, I didn't know how to ask somebody or explain what happened. You know, it wasn't traumatic. It was just, why is this old white lady following my friends around? Why, you know, what's going on? Why is that happening? So fast forward to me working in the jail and seeing 95 of, of the inmate population African-American was shocking to me. Um, 
just seeing, you know, guys locked up for months on end for simple marijuana possession or locked up for five years for not paying child support. Like, I just, I, how, it, it, it's just, it's, it, it's crazy what I've seen and how it affects the way I think now. So, I was working at the jail in 2015 um, when uh, Michael Brown was shot in Ferguson. And watching, watching the video and having the training that I had from law enforcement, from the academy, uh, BLE, Basic Law Enforcement Academy, it, it, that's, I think, the turning point that I had saying, hey, maybe law enforcement should have more training or maybe law enforcement shouldn't be so quick to murder unarmed black men, women, and children. Um, so that's pretty much when I found out that the career I am in is full of good old boys and I didn't want to be a part of that system anymore trying to explain why I think the police officer has, shouldn't have shot Michael Brown when I was wearing a uniform myself was hard and other officers, even other black officers were so confused on on my, my thinking at that point. And my thinking at that point was just based on facts. Michael Ferguson did not reach inside of his truck. His window was up. So when he was murdered, it, 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 it was just insane to me how that happened and we just kept having people getting murdered by the police left and right and then once you start researching it and and you start sitting down and saying okay this is going to be uncomfortable for me because I'm in law enforcement I need to see what I want to do for the rest of my life as that went on I was having a mental battle in my head every day at work what do I want to do you know and then I started realizing that the shit that I saw on the news from the police I, I saw it in the jail there were black inmates that would not get served their meals would not get served their medication would not get served their mail simply because they were black um, and it was insane. I remember one day I, this guy came up to me and he said, Hey, Mr. Brothers, like I haven't gotten any of my mail. Usually, you know, my mom writes me almost once a week, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Hey man, like I, I haven't seen any mail, but I'll keep a lookout for it. And it was on night shift. And that's when we did, did mail call. So he asked me when I was passing our mail here and he was frantic. He was like, yo, has anybody, you know, has anybody reached out to me? And I said, I'm sorry. I haven't seen anything. Around midnight, um, I put all the cleaners up and night shift, you about have three hours of downtime. And by downtime, I mean three hours to do what you need to do before, you know, three o'clock comes, you gotta get the courts up, you gotta get everybody ready. And I'm cleaning out the cabinet and I found, I found three, four letters to this inmate from his mom that was stashed away. So, I asked the officer that relieved me if he knew what happened with these. He's like, I have no clue, blah, blah, blah. 
those aren't mine, that's not my duty, that's night shift. And at that point, we just switched over to night shift. So I give them all the letters and I explain to them what happened. I said, hey man, I was cleaning out my cabinet and this is what I found. So that's when I started getting other officers looking at me like, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you treating these inmates like they're better than us? Blah, blah, blah. And then it just kept getting on and kept getting worse and worse. And I saw that if something happened where we had to physically put an inmate down or we had to do something that wasn't okay, we would lie. We would straight up lie on our incident reports. We would converse with other officers. Hey, do you think we can do this? Do you think we can do that? Do you think we should do this? Do you think we should do that? Oh, that's not the truth. It doesn't matter. Just fucking put it in the report. It doesn't matter. Just put it in the report. Doesn't matter if it's the truth or not. And that, that bugged me a lot because officers would literally write people up if they didn't want them in their pods just to get them kicked out the fucking pods. And a system that is broken and constantly works against you, you can never fight alone. Um. So... At that point, it's about two years in, and I'm starting to I'm I'm starting to think there that this isn't for me. Um, the pay's decent, but it's just not what I want to do ethically and morally. Um, you know, I I took an oath, and every single time I went to work, I felt like that oath was being broken. I felt like it didn't matter. I felt like what you say is pretty much what's going to happen if you had a badge on. Whatever I said was going to happen. Whatever I said happened, happened. Um, it, it, it's just crazy how you go thinking, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be doing some good in the world and I'm actually working for a system that destroys people it it's 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 almost sickening um it's it's it brings a part of you to life that you really need to sit down and, and talk to yourself like yo what the fuck am i gonna do man what what needs to be done so at that point i i, I really I just, I didn't know what to do. I kept having, you know, situations where I was told to put something in a report and I would give a little resistance and I would say, that's not really what happened. And then I come back at work the next day, I'd have a write-up for insubordination or I would have a write-up for some, some small shit, some petty shit. Um, and I'm just sitting here like, this is the way it's going to go. This is exactly how it's going to go. I'm going to I'm going to get fired or I'm going to quit because I'm not a good old boy anymore. I don't stand behind the thin blue line anymore. I don't think that what we're doing in this facility is the correct things to do. And then we got a security upgrade. And by that I mean we got a I think it was like a 2 million dollar camera update system and for a couple months at a time those cameras were not in use. And I think those couple months were the worst months that I've worked there. From 
officers doing whatever the fuck they wanted to do to straight lying. I mean, I was told to pull an inmate out of the fucking elevator by his dreads because he talks shit. Um, it's just, it brings you to a point where am I going to be the person that can change this facility or am I just going to be somebody that's, you know, hey, this is what it is, man. Either you take it or you can leave. So I was working one day and I got called to the infirmary and that's where we house our sick patients in our segregated housing unit um, inmates, which is a shoe, the whole. And at this point we had this inmate, um, I think due to legal reasons, I really shouldn't be saying any names, so I'm not going to say any names, but I had this inmate who was very, very mentally ill and he banged his head into the wall until he started bleeding from his forehead. I mean, we could see his skull. Um, we put handcuffs on him. One thing led to another, and unfortunately, we had to put him to the ground. Well, that inmate hocked a loogie full of the blood that was running down from his face and spit it directly into my mouth. When that happened, I pretty much was in awe, um, but at the same time, I didn't get physically upset as in I didn't I didn't beat the inmate you know I didn't I didn't do anything like that he was already handcuffed um so I think right then and there I had a conscious decision that was made and I think that really made me who I am you know I could have either done one or two things I could have stomped this inmate's fucking face out while I was handcuffed and I'm pretty sure nobody would have stopped me or I could have just walked away and I walked away well come to find out that inmate was HIV positive and that threw me for a fucking whirlwind um I had to get ta I it, it was just it was a long six months after that um it was definitely probably one of the craziest things that happened to me in, in, in that jail but also one of the best things to happen to me to that jail mentally um it was just as I was finding out who I really wanted to be that's when I really understood I don't want to do this anymore not because of the bullshit, you know, everyday bullshit that comes with a job, but it was more than that. I was seeing that every time I put that badge on, I didn't feel like I was helping anybody. And that's what I want to do. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to help. I didn't want to constantly yell at people or say, hey, I got a badge. Look at me. Figure out what I, what I want to do. Was that me? Of course. That was, fuck yeah, that was me. I, I thought I was the shit when I started working at the jail. I thought I was, you know, the man. I thought, hey, they gave me a fucking badge and a gun. I, I can pretty much do whatever the fuck I want and not get in trouble. 
that's the mentality of people like that that's literally it um i've seen officers literally want to fucking suit up to go fight an inmate but guess what it's eight officers against one inmate uh one inmate half those fucking officers one one on one anybody that that's the thing good old boy system it's a system and their presence is felt when 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 they have more cops around them you're notice that the more cops you have around you the more fucking arrogant and fucking belligerent they get because they can have more people say what they want to say on their reports it, it, it's like that so i worked there for probably one more year after that and that's when it pretty much started going downhill i just i kept calling out i didn't know I didn't want to work there anymore. I didn't feel valued there. I didn't felt like what I was doing was the purpose of what I wanted to do. Um, and then I decided that I needed to take a mental break and I filled out FMLA paperwork. And while I was on FMLA, I got an email saying that I was terminated as an officer from the jail. So when I came back from my break and I went to the jail, I um I entered and I had a meeting with the captain and I had a meeting with a lieutenant and they said either you can sign this paperwork so you can you know basically work in law enforcement again or we'll fire you and the only reason why I self-terminated myself was because at that point I had a good amount of money set up in my retirement plan with the VA VAC. So I left. And when I left the jail, when I realized that I wasn't considered law enforcement anymore, I wasn't considered somebody to be looked at and hated. I was considered to be a civilian. That's when I really started, really started to set forth in educating myself in systematic racism, racism itself, um, and put in, put in work that I needed to do. And that first year, I think I did my first protest. Um, it was an Equality March protest. And it's just, it's crazy how coming from working in a jail, seeing how the system works, seeing how the system fails, and then coming out and having the vast variety of information that I have from the inside, I felt like I could understand just a little bit more than the average person i've never wanted to be that person like hey look at me i'm doing this i'm doing that no that that that's really not what it is and how it's been since the beginning was i for some reason am pretty decent at you know marketing and media i'm gonna give the people that are struggling um, the African American community, a, a, a platform, and that's literally what I've been trying to do ever since I I, I left the jail. Um, I have definitely understood K 
countless interactions that were helpfully impacted on inmates that I had. Um, I was always the officer to go to to ask if they needed something. Hey, can I get this, man? And it's basic shit they need, like fucking toilet paper or deodorant or a fucking request form, man. Like, it was insane what these inmates were not getting on basic needs. And most of my ideology was imagine this was your mom or your sister or your brother or your father in jail getting treated like this it definitely brings you to a point like am i going to keep doing this bullshit and keep listening to these up these officers that you know pretty much tell us what we can and can't do but want to treat inmates like shit no that that that's when you pretty much got to put your foot down um so I definitely had a change in in in, in perspective and and how law enforcement works. Um, you guys know me now. I'm definitely. I wouldn't say I'm anti-cop, but I definitely, definitely think that if you're a police officer right now. And if you are a police officer and you're listening, please take what I'm saying into consideration. If you're saying that there's no bad cops or you're saying that when we when we say all cops are bastards or ACAB all cops are bad, we mean it as a system. Until I see and I've yet to see this a a cop publicly put out some other cop for doing something they shouldn't have done there's never going to be change because there's always that wall of silence that good boy system the system of, of if i don't see it i'm not going to say anything and if i see it i'm going to say something else happened it's it gets to a point where you have to understand until you make the decision and until you make the conscience effort to either leave the bullshit force that you're in or try to change it then you're no better than a bad cop you're, you're no better and i'm talking about the little shit the lying on incident reports the the lying in the courtrooms the the blatant disrespect that some officers give to people is just sickening it's 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 not where us as American individuals should be right now. Um, it's definitely gets to a point where you don't want to see any murders from cops happen anymore. That's, that's, it's just, I don't understand how hard it is n not to pull your weapon. Oh, but you've never been in a situation, blah, blah, blah. Yes. Yes, I have. I've been in plenty of situations where I was in uniform, outside of work, at the gas station, doing something. We had guns. We, we, we had all that shit where somebody would yell at me, especially when Michael Ferguson was, was murdered. Um, that was a real hard time to be in, be in uniform. People would literally be like, you fucking pig. 
and or or some shit like that and i would accept it because at that point even though i wasn't considered being on the streets i was in law enforcement and at that time i i had a feeling in my heart that uh, what I'm doing right now isn't the right thing that I should be doing. So when we call you pigs or we say fuck 12 or, you know, fuck the police, it's th that's that's basically what it's from. Because I know, I know that every single police officer in their career has lied at least multiple times. Not once, not twice, multiple. Whether it's something as small as the time you pulled somebody over to something as big as, oh, he had a gun and I felt in danger of my life and that person didn't even have a gun and now you got to kill somebody and you still have a job and you don't find any repercussions on that. The only thing is that that murder is on your conscience. When you take a look back at realizing you're finding your true self, it takes a while for you to understand what's happening. When I was changing, when my mentality was changing, I, it didn't happen overnight. It took it took years. And unfortunately, and it, it took me a couple of years to 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 find out like, hey, maybe the shit that I'm doing shouldn't be what I'm doing. Or maybe this career isn't for me. Or this isn't what I want to do. This isn't how we help people. Okay. Now that I'm out of it, what can I do to help people understand that the system is still fucked up and crooked? That the system will always be fighting against you. You cannot, you cannot fight against the system alone that's constantly fighting against you. And when I say it's constantly fighting against you, you have to prove your innocence. You have to prove your innocence to the judge, to the jury, to the courts. So you have to prove that you didn't do something. So you're constantly fighting a system that's fighting you. They're fighting you to go in jail. And you're fighting to keep your freedom. When you see what happens in the world now in 2021, the only progressive change that I've seen it's very little. We still have unarmed black people getting murdered by the police. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There, there isn't. There isn't if. There, there is none. Um, so, it, you really have to sit back and, and, and think to yourself, what can I do? Or what can I say? Or how can I help? And that question for me is I have to educate myself. I have to sit back and I have to listen. I have to listen to people that had these experiences. Because in reality, these experiences that people of color face are never will never be my reality. Because I'm a white male. I am Captain Privilege right here in the flesh. Like, this is the epitome of privilege, a white fucking male. And what you choose to do with your white privilege is how you will perceive the rest of your life. Um, educate yourself and find ways to reach out to 
the community and 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 try to do the best that you can be 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 the big person and when you say that you don't see see color fuck you suck my dick you should see color because you should try to at least understand what somebody else is going through because when you don't see color you're blindly blindly taking out a huge fucking part of how that person is being treated and how that person feels I really want to appreciate everybody that has been listening. I want to appreciate everybody that is taking anything away from what I'm saying. This is the garage. This is the place where we will have uncomfortable conversations. We will have emotional conversations. We will have comedy relief. We will have promotions and marketing strategies we will have anything and anything you want to talk about but i felt like the first episode of this podcast should be an icebreaker and it should be a powerful message um like i said we live in 2021 now racism is still very much alive we need to come together as a community to stop it we need to come together as allies and understand and educate ourselves to help out the black community. We need to ask them what they need. Um, keep fighting the good fight. Power to the people. Um, if you are interested in coming on this podcast, please message me on Facebook or Instagram. Um, and that's about it. I want to thank you guys for the first episode. It'll probably be a little rough. Um, but every day we're learning, so we'll keep this rolling, and I will be dropping two more episodes at least this coming up week. Thank you, guys.